Hi everybody, I'm your hot with Scott Kellner and you are tuned in to Digital Mentorship. Digital Mentorship is a podcast designed to educate college juniors, seniors, and current professionals about career possibilities. If you can think about what you wanted to do when you were declaring a major or getting ready to graduate, is that anything close to what you ended up doing? Do you think somebody else getting ready to graduate has any idea that a job or career or your business even exists? The goal of this podcast is to help narrow the gap between what individuals think their career must be and what it could be. Disclaimer time. Scott Kellner works in the private wealth management industry, and it's possible investments or securities are talked about in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Was the summer of the fall. Hello and welcome to Digital Mentorship. I'm your host, your hot with Scott Kellner, and I'm so excited and happy to be joined today by my friend, uh, Jackson Perry. Uh, Jackson and I know each other from working out at the gym at the local tennis club, and uh, we spent a lot of time together in the gym, and I'm super excited today to talk to him. He's got an exciting career um, in CSM, working for a company called Dental Intelligence, and I can't wait to get into all of that stuff. Uh, Jackson, how are you today? I'm doing good. You know, it's a little bit rainy here today, but um, I do love the good air quality that comes from it. So I'm doing good. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, just a little bit about Jackson. He grew up in Salt Lake City, went to Olympus High School. Um, He's dedicated himself to being a lifelong learner and he's found less traditional ways to educate himself. We'll get into a little bit of that. And um, I think, you know, one of the interesting things or one of my favorite things to do on the show to kind of like help people uh, get to know you and uh, play a little game is uh, tell uh, this game called Two Truths and a Lie. So you told me um, that you've fainted at the vets before. You, your marathon time for the St. George Marathon was two hours and 45 minutes, which is pretty, that's pretty fast. That's fast. And you lived in, in Virginia for three years. Um, you know, I think I know the vet story of when you fainted and I think I'm, I might be thinking about the wrong thing. And I, I know you've, I think, I, well, I feel like you're baiting me though with the St. George marathon thing, but I'm going to go with the St. George marathon time is a lie. Oh man, you caught me. Um, yeah. yeah, that's my <laughs> lie. I, I, may, I may have outed myself telling you the story about the vet. Um, yeah. So, yep. You caught me. <laughs> I think the, but you have run the St. George marathon. I have. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm not that fast. Um, yeah. it was a three fifteen, um, which is still, you know, really proud yeah, of it, but, yeah. um, you know, two forty five would be like rock solid. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's a beyond solid. That's Boston. like almost Olympic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's correct. I ran, I've only done one half marathon. I was training for the Salt Lake marathon when COVID happened. And I so I that. didn't, um, I didn't, I, I haven't run a full marathon, but I ran a one thirty uh, in the haunted half. And I thought my legs were going to fall off when I was done. <laughs> I couldn't believe, <laughs> I couldn't believe how sore I was, man. It was crazy. And so yeah, you have, so you have lived in, you did live in Virginia for three years then. I did. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I mean, obviously it's not super memorable, but uh, my parents, you know, moved from Utah to uh, Virginia, but also Illinois for some time. Um, and then we, you know, came back here. So I would definitely say I'm a local, uh, born and raised in Utah, but you know, quick blip over there. <laughs> and I think, and this, I don't know if this is, 
is the vet story about the bunny? Was um, it? no, actually. So okay. yeah, funny story, full disclosure, a little bit embarrassing, but the vet story, um, I have a crazy fear of needles. And before anyone says like, you know, that's ridiculous or whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I hate needles ever since I was a kid. <laughs> I've hated needles. I never grew past it. I mean, I'll get a shot, but trust me, I don't enjoy it. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't enjoy it. And it's funny because um, people have asked, you know, what about tattoos? I don't know why tattoos don't bother me at all. That's fine. You know, as long as there's buzz and there's some sort of vibration, it's not the same thing. It's honestly like a psychological fear with needles that it just goes undetected in my skin and it freaks me out. Like it like fully like shuts me down. So, um, my, uh, my dog was getting a shot. Um, and they had me hold my dog while it was getting this, you know, this big shot. And it's, it's really, really stupid, but essentially while they gave him the shot, I fainted. (laughs) I completely went down. I fainted in the vet. Like, and that's the first time that's actually happened (laughs) to that degree. So I was really shocked myself. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had shots before when I'm sitting down, I've been in the, in the doctors in the hospital or whatever, but I don't know, apparently watching my, my dog child get a shot knocked me out. (laughs) I, I haven't, I had to get a shot the other day for, um, I had a physical the other day and I did some blood work. And it was the first time in a while that I've had a needle stuck in my arm and it didn't used to, it it didn't, it hasn't bothered me that much before, but it was very, it was kind of uncomfortable this time for whatever reason. I felt like tense, like this apprehension of them, like sticking me, like was like super uncomfortable. I I um, should probably get over my fear, especially with these COVID vaccines coming out because I'm definitely getting that, but you know, you don't want to be afraid of, you can't be afraid of needles. Maybe I'll just have my wife next to me holding me up just so I don't smack my head on the way down. (laughs) Um, Well, that's, that's super funny. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And um, so I just want to talk a little bit, let's get, let's, get into it. So, um, you know, in terms of, we'll talk a little bit about, um, where you've, where you've worked, what you, where you've been, um, and then we'll get into where you are, um, now, but so looking at your resume, um, you, you started out as an associate manager at fresh twist tea and yogurt. So, I mean, that was probably kind of like your first job, uh, you know, as, as a young adult. And, yeah. and then from there, you went to work as a strategic account manager at Brody Chemical. Um, in the notes that you had, you established a clear and consistent growth plan for seasonal and regional products, developed standard practices for newly founded inside sales team. This sounds a little bit of like kind of where you, I know you're very passionate about creating processes for sales teams and, and ultimately like client success management. And um and so I feel like this is probably a little bit, I mean, is, do you feel like this is where you, you found that passion or that energy for that stuff? I did. Um, you know, when I got in there, um, there was a lot of opportunity and, and with opportunity, that means there's a lot of chaos. So, you know, the opportunity to be able to really, you know, make your mark on something and help others um, is something that I, I found a love for. Um, and really, really clicked in the professional world in that moment. I've always really loved, um, you know, like automating people's lives, making it easier, giving people more freedom, um, kind of like bringing magic to this, this um, real world, you know, like taking what we have today and moving beyond, you know, the limitations that we have in our minds. So that's something on a personal level I really connect with. Um, and when I was, you know, brought into that position, they were really moving into a new direction with a very traditional industry and just a, a really good history 
um, with that company. And as you develop your company and you build it in, you know, the generational times when it was founded, trying to shift and stay relevant in the current times can always be really trying. So I really love the opportunity to come in and really look at what they were trying to do and me understanding the demographics of what we want to see is we're up and coming professionals and where I believe the industry is going and being able to play a part in that in, in leading, you know, the, the executive team on why this needs to happen, you know, how we're going to get there and really just taking ownership over that was something that I will always hold really dearly to my heart. Um, I was able to, you know, create, um, you know, the insights to how we market our products. There was a large variety of products from um, ice melt to hospitality to pool and spa. So there's many different demographics. One minute you're talking to the manager of a hotel and the next you're talking to, you know, the owner of a construction company that's strictly talking about asphalt in the bed of his truck. So mm. you have very different, you know, client personas and, you know, you need to be able to shift gears pretty easily and understand, you know, how to, you know, better integrate and communicate to their problems. And that um, can be really trying for people. So I really took a lot of time trying to map what the client personas are, what, you know, what the, um, the stakeholders can be in any given situation, just allowing people to come in and be able to get up to speed, get more comfortable and, you know, explore those things in a more, you know, vulnerable, but really safe way. And then also being able to identify that, um, you know, purchasing habits are really different um, for each stakeholder. So being able to create, you know, some of the marketing and new websites that were founded and working with the marketing teams directly to give them the insights I found really allowed me to put my hands in a lot of different areas in the business and really get really close with marketing and, um, you know, even just my clients and just trying to understand where they are and even just making their job easier for finding our product and, and being applicable to them so that they don't have to, you know, exhaust so much effort in finding a solution for them. And also for me, not having to guide them as far, it made both of our lives easier. So I really found that connection there, um, you know, making both the clients, but also like our internal processes, um, just easier on everyone. And that's, I think where it really took off for me. Because I know, um, and from, from there, you moved on to where I met you, um, which was you were an account representative at, at Pharma Logistics. And this yeah. was kind of an interesting job, which I feel like maybe deviated a little bit from kind of like this passion that you found at Brody Chemical, which was kind of, uh, uh, I felt like you were, you had a little bit more creativity and you had a little bit more room to develop processes and think about the customer experience. I know that was something that you were, you, you liked your job at Pharma Logistics. You got to travel a lot. Um, you had, I remember you, there were a lot of things that you really enjoyed about it, but I remember you also feeling that it was kind of like constrained you at times. Like it was a very, I mean, I, and maybe just talk a little bit about what Pharma Logistics was and maybe how you felt like um, just kind of like what your experience was there. And then we can get into, um, you know, what you do now at Dental Intelligence. Yeah. So, you know, um, I think some of your insights are right there that um, there were some constraints, you know, being in a very, very traditional industry, working in healthcare, there are a lot of different, um, you know, connective um, pieces in that industry from, you know, governmental to insurance to manufacturers to, you know, the hospital system itself. 
Um, you know, I think the, the position may not have been envisioned as far as what I would have liked to see it, it do, but I don't believe that that stopped me in making my impact beyond my role. I really focused on, you know, one of what that role was, was essentially, um, streamlining the reverse distribution of expired medications from pharmacies. Um, and there's a lot of lost revenue in healthcare systems from medications that expire, um, and, you know, it increased the costs for, you know, patient care, um, you know, really affects the consumer. Um, and this is something that I didn't have my radar on or, you know, really realize could impact healthcare um, for the entire nation. So um, I was able to learn a lot and I really enjoyed being able to see, you know, from a different perspective, um, you know, profitability on the back end, really understanding, you know, how we can be good stewards to the economy, you know, how we can, um, which manufacturers were um, accommodating to healthcare systems, and what they were doing right to make that work for them. So for me, it put me in a really good place to be exposed to um, different stakeholders, personality types, and just a totally different industry. So I really enjoyed that um, because I was able to see, you know, what money could be restored to healthcare through the expired medications. Mm -hmm. Some manufacturers actually issued credits back to the hospitals um, if it was unused or unopened. And so my job was essentially going through the data analytics to be able to find, you know, medications that are returnable um, and, you know, basically restore that money back to the hospital where I found a lot of my joy in that job um, I was really focusing on, you know, the client expectations and, and really just aligning with trying to reduce the cost of healthcare for consumers as a whole. Um, and I found really good alignment with, um, you know, the, the businesses being able to identify high value drugs that may not have been returnable. Um, and, and moving beyond my role of just returning money to healthcare, really lending myself as an advocate to the hospital and, and, you know, moving beyond my role and saying that, you know, these drugs are not returnable. It's going to cost you $7,000 every time that this vial expires. Um, Crofab is an anti-venom for snakes and you have to have it on hand in case something happens. But if, if it expires or the fridge goes out, that money's gone. And so I was able to work with them and improve processes for my clients, really serving them. And I think aligning with them beyond the expectations of my role and letting them know, you know, while we may not be able to return this, you know, I wanted to bring this to your attention. And I think, you know, maybe kind of remapping your policy for what the stocking expectations are and maybe developing an inter-transfer pro uh, program. If you have a high-risk area and mapping where those are continually used, there may be some low-risk areas where if it's coming up to expiration within six months, you can have your fridge or your computer remind you about this drug that it's coming within six months of expiration. It may be a really good time for you to take that drug and transfer it to a new hospital for a hospital that may use it. You're going to lose this money no matter what. So you, you might as well, you know, give it the best opportunity available. Um, and, and I found a lot of passion in that. There's so much room for improvement in healthcare, um, but it is a very slow moving industry and there are a lot of connective pieces there. So I think that at the end of the day, regardless of my role, I found a lot of passion and, and kept that part of me alive. Um, but I do agree that it may not have been as closely aligned with what the expectations of the role may have been to start with. It sounds like, and I think this is, um, it sounds like you're trying to find, you know, the things that you enjoy and the things that you're passionate about, which is, 
you know, really the client service, the client experience and how to make that, how to, how to optimize that, how to take that to the next level. And even though that wasn't necessarily part of the role, you were trying to bring that into it because it was something, it's something that you're passionate about and that you care about. And, um, and then I wanted to, you know, go into um, ultimately, and I know you worked super hard to get this job at dental intelligence. You were, you were, you spent a lot of time networking. You spent a lot of time reaching out to people, connecting to people. Um, and I guess, you know, maybe just talk briefly about um, how you went about, um, how you found the company, um, how you went about applying for the job and kind of just talk about maybe that, because it's very different. You went from basically working for a, a legacy pharmaceutical logistics company, um, which, which I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of interesting things like, but you, and then to basically like a cutting edge uh, tech, you know, Silicon Slopes tech company. And, and so it's not necessarily, I feel like the same world. I mean, it's different worlds. And, and so how did you find um, you were able to take off from one and land on the other? Yeah. So I would say, you know, it, it's interesting. You're, you're right. You know, when I look at from the outside in, they are different worlds. Um, but internally, um, my passion and my purpose has always yeah. been very closely aligned. Um, right. and, and that's been what's always truly guided me. Um, so it is a different world. And I think that I did run into a lot of that's what made this so trying um, was, you know, a lot of this traditional world, people will see, you know, the roles that you are in and you kind of get typecasted and, and you'll take a role and you kind of follow this trail and people say, you've done this, this is where you'll go. This is the clear, you know, path line. And, um, you know, I've always seen, you know, what I brought to the table beyond kind of what that role is. And I'd say that that was a huge, you know, of a huge benefit to me because I really saw what I want to bring to the table, regardless of my role and how that fits into this. And I think that the thing that, um, you know, was, was most interesting during this time was that, you know, through the pandemic, it really forced me to get out of my head, really, you know, collaborate and meet with people and define my purpose and, and becoming more human. I never thought that this virtual world was going to make me more human, was going to force me to, you know, bring more humanity into, you know, my interactions. So getting into LinkedIn and, you know, really defining my personal brand and moving beyond, you know, some of the resentment that I think some people will feel when they first get on LinkedIn um, they may feel like it's, you know, it's, it's self-promoting or it's, you know, not of interest to them. And, you know, it does, doesn't connect with them personally. And I, I think for me, you know, it really forced me to infuse who I am into my work and what I stand for into my work and bringing more of that connection with others and connecting with them and, you know, and asking them, what is your cultural experience? Like, how do you feel about your industry? What is your leadership style? Getting people to talk to me and hearing the hot words that were within that industry. Mm. Um, the core of it was, was really, really applicable, but the hot words were what made it hard for me to transfer. You know, they'll mm. use, especially in tech, um, a lot of abbreviations like, now, you know, sales, you know, being SDRs and BDRs and ADRs and AEs and EAEs, whatever you want to call it, there, there's abbreviations for anything and everything in tech. And when you can't speak to them, you can kind of feel like a loser. Honestly, you're like, yeah. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to, like, what is SAS? Like, you know, it's, it, what are these things? And it's kind of the you out yourself in that moment, you know, trying to make that transition, but it really forced me to be vulnerable again 
And I'm so grateful for that because it forced me to move beyond, be vulnerable, grow and learn something new. So I reached out to people on LinkedIn, um, you know, connecting with the customer experience committee um, is something that really aligned with my operations mindset. Mm. Um, seeing that COVID has really forced businesses to take a more proactive approach to what customer success is. There's been this new age kind of revelation where it used to be account managers that would sell it and kind of maintain it. They were mm. the point of contact and that was considered a good thing, but we're moving to this new realm where we no longer have account managers and customer support. We have started to find value in the connective tissue in between in order mm. to enable salespeople to sell more. We need to have someone to maintain it and, and maintain that relationship, but also be proactive. But when issues come up that, you know, maybe beyond, uh, you know, proactive approaches that they are reactive, we need a team to be able to be, you know, uh, support, you know, to support that and help guide them through their, their issues there. But when it comes to maintaining the relationship and, and keeping a really, um, you know, good upward trajectory and maintaining momentum, that's where a CSM comes in. And I personally really align with, you know, relationships with people, maintaining it. I enjoy, you know, um, change management, process mm. improvement, all of those things. And the CSM has a lot of opportunity there to connect with people and, and even just, you know, being more personal with them and say, you know, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Why are you here? You know, a lot of it can be very, uh, consultative. And I enjoy that aspect. Um, I I've enjoyed sales. I've enjoyed the, you know, the psychology of it, but at the end of the day, I've always been more of an operation psychology kind of guy. Um, and I found a lot of, um, connection in the CSM community. And so I guess, can we just, what does CSM actually stand for? What does it mean? Yeah. So a CSM is a customer success manager. You'll sometimes yeah. hear people questioning, should it be client success manager or customer success, depending on the industry, yeah. um, like banking, they may call it client, you know, cause there's just an expectation. You're kind mm -hmm. of blending that traditionalism with, um, this, this new age role, but essentially the roles, um, should be the same, but I, I, I will tell you that as you look into the CSM world, they're not all the same because like I said, it is, it is more of a new age role. And I think that the biggest thing I would tell anyone to looking into that role is always ask the person you're interviewing with or people that are in that role, what does customer success mean to you? Some mm -hmm. places have not really defined that well, and they've chosen to, you know, evolve their account manager roles into a CSM. And it's really more of a sales role that's not taking as much of a proactive approach. And they've chosen to kind of consolidate the roles. Um, when I think if you speak with most, you know, people really involved in the CSM community, we, we would all really agree that it is not a sales role. You know, there's cross-selling opportunity, there's upselling opportunity, but it's really more of a customer-centric role that's not, um, not focused on that element. So if that's something you want, you know, always ask them what is, what does customer success mean to them? Because my opinion of it could be very different than other businesses. Why do you feel like, um, like, I feel like a CSM role, kind of just like what you were saying before in terms of kind of like industry jargon or uh, uh, AEPs, BSMs, uh, you know, kind of some of the different acronyms that you were throwing at that before. I mean, we have that, we have that in finance too. Um, you know, we say things sometimes like EBITDA or asset allocation, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. we, I mean, we have kind of jargon words and things like that too. And, um, but I guess in general, like, why do you feel like, 
um, why is a CSM so, um, it seems like it's only a job that really exists in kind of like the tech community. It doesn't seem like a job that um, has, has kind of proliferated out, you know, into other industries. I mean, I think about, for instance, what I spend time on at Albion is, I mean, a lot of times I think about how can I make this process, I think about kind of the same thing that you do. How can I improve that process to lead to a better experience and ultimately success? Um, you know, for, for our, my internal clients, which are, you know, the financial advisors, the portfolio managers, uh, and my team and the, the owners of the company and to external clients, you know, to the people that hire us to help manage their money. Um, so that, so I, but, but we don't have a, we don't have a CSM, but I feel like I, I can so why do you think, I guess, um, it's something that's kind of like unique. And I feel like we would benefit from somebody like that. I feel like we would definitely benefit from somebody that just focused on, on that, uh, client success management or customer success management. Um, so, but why do I guess, do you feel like it's something that's unique to the tech industry? So, um, it's interesting. I, I love that you called that out, that you think that it sounds unique to the tech industry. I would actually go the polar opposite way. CSMs are ingrained everywhere they may not be called it your plumber is a csm he is you know in, in, a, in a traditional world he's not selling you he's not doing this and that he's coming and he's reacting to the call he's seeing your issue he's acknowledging your issue he's working to fix it and he's also trying to make sure you're happy so that he gets a good experience that he gets a good rating that you want to use them again he's a csm we have csms everywhere um but i think you know what it is, is there's going to be, you know, a difference in what defines success for that business. And on top of mm. that, culturally, have they defined what success means to them well enough? Like, you know, a CSM is only as good as the vision. You know, if we're trying to encourage vulnerability and honesty, we have to be encouraging that internally. And so I think that that's, you know, where it's really pushing businesses beyond the, the traditional, um, you know, construction realms is that we're becoming more human, we're becoming more real, and consumers are, are more selective now more than ever, you know, to where they want to invest in the community. And so the CSM is really that role in between that that allows you to have more of that real human connection with them and try to just really dissect and organize the values of the customer with the values of the business and try to align the two. You know, we have, we have goals and we have um, actions that drive towards your goals, but what are your thoughts and feelings? Just because I got you to where, you know, let's say we finished onboarding you or you, we sold you, you've purchased, like, what did we do to get you to purchase? And what were your thoughts and feelings along the entire way? Just because you crossed the finish line, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. We need to move beyond that and realize that, you know, the things that we do to get you to cross the finish line have either a positive or a negative effect on you. And that's where the CSM, I think, comes in and tries to maintain a more proactive approach with them in understanding that, you know, or, or driving alignment within the company um, between that, you know, that relationship, the goal and the emotional response and being more of like a brand advocate. So I think that they're applicable in, in really any industry. And on top of that, you know, a CSM is only one facet of the entire community. So, mm. you know, maybe if they don't want to have a CSM, there are, um, you know, CS operations, customer success operations, but, you know, once you've defined the operation, who is executing on the operation? You may not call them a CSM, 
but someone's being a CSM. Someone is executing on that, you know, that value and whether you've spread it amongst multiple teams or not, um, those things are being done. And I think that the CSM is really there as an advocate for both the customer and the business to reduce silos. We're there to say marketing mm. is sending this and this is what the customer is receiving and they're reaching out and they're getting to support and they know nothing that, about marketing sending it. So now support is saying, I'm sorry, I don't know where to send you. Um, you know, please reach out to your account manager if you have more questions. They reach out to them. They're like, let me follow up. I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. It, that's that that's not creating a good reaction. So marketing has this, you know, perspective that they're creating brand presence and opportunities for the customer. And in the meantime, the customer's confused. They've been told to reach out, they've reached out, they don't know what to do, they reach out to them. There's obviously a lack of confidence in their own processes. So even if they eventually get what marketing said, it left the customer with a feeling. They now don't feel that there's a cohesive and an open communication or dialogue within the yeah. company. And that's where the CSM comes in to make sure that we are creating systemic alignment throughout the entire customer journey. And if not, we're elevating those things and being proactive about trying to fix them along the way. I think that brings up a great point. That is so frustrating to me sometimes. I mean, you basically preventing the runaround, like preventing, you know, like the, the having uh, consistent communication at all channels. I hate it when, I have a problem or a software problem and I reach out to somebody and, you know, for help and, ah, you know, you need to talk to so-and-so and so, and, and I, that is one of my least. So, I mean, do you feel like that um, maybe, maybe not necessarily at its core, but is a, is a critical function of, of CSM is blending those uh, the different, I guess, silos kind of like, just like what you said, like, yeah. you know, the different uh, you know, you have the, you usually have the, uh, uh, the closer or the account, the account, uh, the guy that comes in and does the does the sales presentation, does the uh, the feasibility presentation. And then they usually hand them off to like an implementation person. Okay, we're going to get all of your old data over. You know, we're going to take all of your old systems and we're going to convert them over to your new systems. You have the implementation person, and then you have the person who um, manages the relationship going forward. And yeah. and from your perspective, you're kind of looking at all of these silos and making sure that there is a clear message and a, a, a smooth or seamless experience um, but, you know, for, for the client, for the customer. And that's exactly. kind of what you think about it. Driving that experience and, and maybe not all, you know, CS members are as passionate about, you know, driving, you know, the experience and removing the silos. Some people may prefer to follow someone that already set that vision and they're just executing on that vision. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of my passion, as I've kind of shared with you, is really, you know, moving into that area of operations and defining, you know, we may have gotten them to onboarding mm -hmm. and, you know, but, but how did we get them to onboarding? What was the communication? What was the dialogue? What was the handoff? When mm -hmm. it finished in sales, where did, where did we lose momentum or did we lose momentum at all? Do we have a process for the sales rep to hand that off to an onboarding specialist? And what is that process? And, you know, if, if there's, you know, maybe some places haven't defined that well, and they may be emailing the onboarding specialist and saying, you know, reach out to this person in two weeks pass, or there's, you know, no set, you know, cadence for that. There's a loss in momentum and there's a loss in trust in that, in that moment for the customer, not feeling like there's an open communication or worst case, you know, it passes over and they don't send an email to them and, 
And, uh, you know, that momentum is lost and the customer now, like it, it, you know, I don't think the businesses have realized that, you know, when they reach out and say, Hey, you know, what's going on, I'm waiting for the next steps, you know, traditional businesses may have responded and said, Oh yeah, we're getting that scheduled. Let's get you scheduled now. To me, that's a horrible experience. Like it's one thing that you're getting it scheduled. You know, you got the goal, congrats on that. But beyond that, um, what was the thought and the feeling that still got them to the goal? Like you lost their trust in that moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what momentum could have been restored and retained, you know, that guides them through the entire journey. Because if you instill them with that, that confidence in that, um, that, you know, customer centric process, there you're creating advocacy and that advocacy mm. doesn't end there. It continues throughout the entire journey. And we all really have a responsibility to make sure that, you, that we are, you know, we have good connective tissue between our processes. And that's where I think the role of CS operations comes into play with it. All customer success managers have the responsibility to elevate those concerns to their leaders and, and really drive that, you know, to, to leading towards a customer centric business, but not all CSMs have to have an operations mindset. That's something that I personally really connect with. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I know that, um, you know, uh, a lot of CSMs really find joy in just elevating those concerns for someone else to do that. So they're, oh, sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> is that Bosley? Which one is it? Uh, Bosley anti. So oh, <laughs> they're loving this, this work from home life. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I was saying, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in the CS world. Um, you know, depending on what your niche is, um, I've kind of defined, like, I think what the purpose is and what the high, the high, you know, roof line is, and then what the actions are that we need to execute on. But essentially it's just, it's driving that higher customer experience. We're not just mm. being reactive and responding when things go bad. We're driving and defining what a good experience is for both the brand and what we stand for, but also aligning that with what we're seeing in the field. We're kind of the front line and seeing what is the customer experience and how are we mapping that? Mm. Does that answer it decently? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it I think it helped me understand or help, you know, hopefully helped other people understand. Um you know, kind of how you think about breaking down the silos and why, and ultimately why it's important from, from the, it's, you know, it's about how it's about make how people feel, how you're making them feel throughout the process. And I think one of the things that you said, you know, and kind of like our intro call um, that I think totally kind of like speaks a little bit to just your passion for how people feel was um, you said, if you don't want complacent answers, don't ask complacent questions. And it's kind of like the, as you know, uh, the, the exit survey that says, how would you rate your experience today? One through five, five. Uh, would you recommend us to a friend? Five, whatever, you know, doesn't even, doesn't even make sense really anymore, but you're just going five all the way down the list because you don't, you don't really, you know, you don't really, you're not really that interested or you don't really care too much about you just, you said you'd do the survey, so you're doing it. And, and, but you, give me the example of, um, you know, maybe asking a sort of like more intimate or more valuable question, which was, um, you know, how did, how did this make you feel trying to get at how people feel during the experience? And I feel like that's something that you're super passionate about. And I think you're a super passionate dude in general. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, you have two books that are really important to you. One of them uh, is the Tao Te Ching, right? And yeah. I think the kind of like moral uh, or lesson that you got from that was 
um, you know, finding out what your, what your why is. When I think about what's your why, I think about Simon Sinek's start with why. Um, but, and I did a little research on the Dao De Jing. And the thing that I liked about it that they said was um, uh, uh, na- like naming when you name things um, um, or when you name things, it kind of takes a little bit of their spirit away. Um, but, you know, what's, what's best known, uh, I should just look up the quote. Where was it? Yeah, I think uh, what oh, you're oh, getting at while the, you're looking for the it. The Tao is both named and nameless. Um, and the, yeah. the Tao is kind of like your, your uh, kind of like the peace or, you know, your passion or it's kind of like who you are. It's like finding yourself a little bit. And the idea is kind of just that you can't really define it. It's not something that you can put your finger on. It's not necessarily um, like in the, the example that I was reading, it's not necessarily like Christianity where you, you know, God is good. You do these things, you go to heaven. This, this book is much more about trying to find the answers within yourself. And I mean, maybe just talk a little bit, I guess, about what this book means to you and, and how it's impacted uh, or how you've, you've, use the lessons from this book and apply them to your role at dental intelligence? Yeah. So I would say, you know, what I really got from the Tao Te Ching is, you know, trying to live your life as an open bull. Um, Mm. And, you know, what, what I got from that was that there's equal value in having substance and emptiness at the same time. Emptiness makes way for um, new lessons and, and uh, you know, new, newness in your life. And so for me, it, it, it um, screams of, of vulnerability and the balance between knowledge and not knowing, and that there is power in both knowing and not knowing. Because if you know everything, your bowl is so full that you have overdefined your reality and you may miss something. You may actually like unravel your knowing by knowing. So the more that you know, the, the less room you allow to unlearn what you know so far. And, you know, generations and desires and things are constantly shifting. And I think that there's such a delicate balance between where we are today and where we're going to tomorrow. So for me, it's a constant reminder to remain vulnerable, to question things, to be a lifelong learner and, and allow space for other people in your life. You know, for me, um, I, passion is, um, it's, it's definitely, um, something that I, um, feel a lot in my life. I'm a very passionate person. I just, I, I'm very expressive. I enjoy, um, experiences in every regard from my professional to my personal life. Um, but with that, I always say your greatest strength will be equal and parallel to your greatest failure. That's something that, you know, I've always said I've, um, you know, I've personally really connected with because if you're really, um, strong. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a natural law. It's an order to this world that if you're really strong, you're probably not very flexible. But if you've you know, worked on becoming flexible and strong, you're probably a little more lean and not as bulky. So the bulkier you get, the less lean that you are, but the more lean you are, the less strong you are. And it's very similar. That's what the Tao Te Ching has really shown me is balance. It's really reminded me of don't strive to be maybe too much, you know, allow room to not label, you know, things. Cause once you've labeled it, it's lost room to grow. Once you called out what it actually is, it's defined, it's boxed. It has no room to improve and your brain has closed off. So I think understanding or leaving room for others to, you know, 
teach you lessons or make you question the world is something that I've really valued and I've tried to keep alive in my life. Um, I've, that's really helped me, you know, my professional life, um, especially as a CSM, my experiences and my desires are probably very different than yours and many other businesses. And the only way I think that I would be as capable of hearing them and, and giving them that space is by really focusing on, you know, really remaining um, and striving towards keeping my goal as empty as possible, really receiving. And, you know, passion can fill a room with so much. Um, and at the same time, you know, not allow room for other people to share and express in that passion. And, you know, I share that in vulnerability. I know that I have my flaws. I know other people do too. And I try to share those things and really, I think sometimes run with my demons or acknowledge them. Because if I know that they're there, they don't gain as much power over me. And so those mm -hmm. are kind of some of the things that I've really embodied from that book. I love what you said about, um, you know, your bowl is kind of empty and you really want to receive, you're trying to receive the world. Um, I love this book called The Go-Giver and it's five lessons for stratospheric success. It's kind of a corny title, but rule number five is the law of receptivity. You need to be open to receiving the world and what it has to offer you. And if you're closed off and hyper-focused on whatever you think you need to do or whatever you think you need to be, or, uh, you know, you're not, you're not looking at what could be possible. You know, you're not, you're not, you don't have the opportunity to fill up your bowl. Um, and so I love that analogy. And I think, um, you know, being open to receiving is, is super important. The other book that's super important to you um, is called the power of now. And maybe you just talk a little bit about that and how it's impacted uh, your life and your career. Yeah. So the power of now, um, I want to say it's my favorite book. Um, it, <laughs> I, it's hard to say that though. Um, I love the power of now because every time you read it, you're reading it in the now and the now <laughs> is so different than every other thing that you've ever experienced. And um, it's just this really cool book that I think really forces you to just feel the moment again and recalibrate. It's like a full reset for your system. Like you've just rebooted your computer and wiped it. And they're like, you know, I've lost all these things, but I have so much room for so much more again. Like finally things are speeding up. Everything's working again. And um, the power of now, I think my biggest takeaway from that was that, um, you know, not to get you know too far down this, you know, metaphysical realm, but um, time is a continuum that we've really created. And um, they said that when you're born into this world, um, there is no fear, there is no pain, there's only love, there's only, you know, this, this present moment. And um, they do a really good job, I think, of recalibrating you to be in this moment and realize that, you know, fear and anxiety don't exist in this moment, in this now, in this world. It always exists in a future or um, past time. So you're either worried about where you're going or what's going to happen to you or if this doesn't happen, this will happen to you, or you're worried about something that has happened to you that you don't want to happen again, but neither actually exist. None of them are actually here. You're in the now and that's not here. You're always, if you're worried, it's always future or past oriented. And they also said that um, anything that's ever happened has always happened now. Nothing in this world has ever happened anywhere other than now. And it was really just a, a really good moment for me, I think, to open myself up to that power of now 
and realizing, you know, I think everyone has experienced um, wanting to do well at something. I'm sure when you started this podcast, you know, where do I start? How am I going to be received? You know, how are people going to look, you know, upon me? Um, what are, you know, what are my mannerisms? How do I build this? How do I do this? And all of that, you know, like it, it can turn into a fear really quickly. And, you know, you start wondering, okay, well, I could flop here or I need to do this. Otherwise, otherwise this is going to happen, or I need to have this. Otherwise this is going to happen. What would happen if you were to set a goal and you just said, I need this to do this and I need this to do this. And you just did it now. If you need it, do it now. Don't wait for, you know, your fear in the future. And if something goes wrong, you know, in the future, which you shouldn't even be thinking about, but it happened now. And you can think about now what you can do to correct that and fix that. And I just think that as close as you can get to the present moment, and I understand I'm not, I'm not always in that moment, but I think what it really drove home for me is that the closest you can get to the present moment, that's where your power is. When there's a problem that arises in your life, what can you do now to fix it? worrying your fear all those things realize that it's in the future or the past you're not even there yet that's not your problem right now you need to work on now and so for me um, that's been something that has helped me overcome many objections in my career or you know being an operations mindset you know having a lot of change management i have to always refer to the power of now i have to think about what i can do today to drive to where i want to be tomorrow or all these things but at the end of the day if i don't get done today or now what's needed tomorrow will never be here like that that will never happen so really just staying focused and removing the anxiety and the fear of you know that future or past oriented self i think has restored a lot of power within me um and mm. i think that it's really what's allowed me to you know even remove fear and anxiety from those i work with you know when you know practices join within to dental intelligence, you know, there's, there's a, you know, sometimes maybe their, their practice isn't as profitable, or they're struggling with impacting culture, or they have all these, you know, personal um, P's going on, you know, that uh, persevere, you know, uh, uh, like basically preserving yourself or profitability, or prestige, there's all these different layers that they're going through that they're latching onto, and there's a fear attached there. So I think for me, um, removing the fear from people's lives and getting them to see rationally where we're at and what we can do now to fix that will allow your present moment to become your reality. If you want, I kind of think that if you want a seat um, at the table or you want to be somewhere in your life, you have to bring that here now. You have to be that person now. You're not going to ever have that job that allows you to wear that shirt or that jacket or drive that car if you don't do something now to emulate that person. You know, really thinking about who is that person? How would they, and, and get beyond their, you know, the materialistic things. How would they eat? How would they sleep? What would their workout regimen be like? What would they smell like? What, anything, you know, make them real and embody that. Like if, like that, that's your reality. That's what you've made. That's what you imagine that person to be. And you have the ability to be every bit of that person. It's within you. You know that it's there. You've imagined it. And really taking that into the power of now and being that person today so that you can be that person tomorrow or next week, you have to do it now. That's the only way you can do it. And so that is something I'm really passionate about as well. I think, um, I'm reading a book by Jay Shetty. It's called How to Think Like a Monk. And he talks about, you know, fear and anxiety live in the past and the future. 
And if you can kind of everything that you just said, um, taking, taking, you know, sitting, taking a seat at the table now, focusing, focusing on, on the now, um, I think that has a big impact on my life. Um, you know, thinking about what I could have, you know, thinking about changes, choices that I've made in the past where I wish I had made a different choice or thinking about the uncertainty of the future and, and how that can scare me. I think it, 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 all it, all it does is distract me from yeah. what I'm, what I'm trying to focus on or what I'm trying to do in this current moment. Um, so I Even, think, that's, you know, when something bad goes wrong in your life, I think that, you know, some people will maybe say, well, you know, when something happens, you know, how do you not reflect on what led you there? How do you, you know, how do you not reflect on, you know, what got you to that point? And it kind of looks like a negative thing that you're not taking accountability for it. But really what it is, is that if you're always focused on the now and you're driving towards your goals and now, you know, you're either going to hit that mark or you're going to miss it. And it's okay to miss your mark. It really is. As long as you know that you've driven, you know, in that direction. And when you hit that moment, when you missed your mark, don't get distracted then by the fear of the past. What can you do now again to fix it? What can you do now to learn from your mistakes? What can you do now to be able to move forward? Don't like, you can't, you can't, that's paralyzing. You know, it's good to reflect on what got you to where you are. Um, but, you know, it's always going to come back to the now. Don't reside in those those other places. They just don't actually exist. Right. Um, well, I wanted to take a second. Is it cool if we look at your resume? I think Jackson has the coolest resume. And I wanted to share it with everybody. So I'm going to put it up on my screen here. Share. There we go. Oh, speaking of technical difficulties, I almost, I almost did it again. There's, you have to click share like twice. And I did the other day, I was making a video and I was doing this really great job. And I thought I had shared my screen on my tablet and I can like animate it and like draw. And so I thought I had, I was recording the screen and I was drawing these pictures. And I was doing these formulas and, and everything was so good. I went on for like 15 or 20 minutes and I looked up. And I had not actually successfully shared the screen. I was like, oh my God. Oh, and then I, I tried to do it again. I tried to do it again. And I couldn't capture that same wind that I had when I did it that first time. Like that first time was yep. so good. And then I yep. tried to do it again. And I was, you know oh. what it is? It's because you weren't in the power of now. You then oh. tried to recreate what you already knew. Yeah. So it, you were in your flow. In that moment when you were in the now, it was perfect. It was good. You were feeling it. It was real to you. It was honest. But as yeah. soon as it wasn't, going back to that place of like, let me try to recreate this moment in the light of how perfect it was the first time. And right. that's when it all, like it all unravels. That's it. That's <laughs> the power of now right there is a perfect example of, of the power of now. I was so upset. <laughs> I, I went, I just went to bed. I just, you know, um, but this is, look at this good looking guy right here, dude. This is a good, where is this picture taken? Oh man. So that actually was taken, um, in Arizona. I, I had a, I had a meeting for, um, actually when I was working with pharma logistics for like a dental or for the, um, the pharmaceutical committee. So, um, just taken there and I, I liked it and just kind of used it ever since. <laughs> so this is, I thought this was super cool when you sent it, sent this to me. I usually ask all of my guests to send me their resume just because it's easy, easy to go over. And I feel like it helps me understand, um, you know, their experience and uh, without me having to ask a whole lot of questions. And so this was definitely, you know, part of the beginning of the interview. But, um, you know, maybe just talking about how you made this 
and what the process was like in you know gathering feedback for it. And I guess how has been how how has been like is this the application you use when you apply to dental intelligence? Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit different than this. It's similar. I mean, obviously, as I added some things in there, um, you know, each time I think you kind of layer and refine um, to making it, you know, in, in perspective to who you are today. Um, but very similar. I use the same layout, um, you know, a little bit of tweaking here and there, but, you know, roughly the same. So. And when you were um, reaching out to people about it, um, you were trying to get some feedback on on kind of just, I mean, what did people say about it? Was there, was it well-received? Did people like it? I mean, I feel like I like it because I feel like it's very different from my resume, which is very, which is a very boring word doc with lots of bullet points uh, that I actually had, that I actually paid. I would recommend, I would, when people ask me for resume help, I just say, go pay somebody a hundred bucks to write your Mm -hmm. resume. That's usually what I say, because they, they are going to do a way better job of making you sound like a badass than you are um, is is my take on that. Like I read I read the resume that they wrote for me afterwards. And I was like, I sound like a freaking rock star. I would never use these words that they use to describe what I do, uh, you know, uh, or describe myself. And um, so that's always been uh, my my feedback on resumes. But I love this, and I actually went and made one of these. I know the secret. I know the secret, he but I actually went and right, you know, today earlier before this, uh, when I was looking at this, I was like, I'm going to go make one of these, uh, just like Jackson's. Cause I think it's so great. Um, so what, what has the feedback been? Do people like this kind of like maybe less traditional format? Um, or what do you think? You know, I think, um, I've gotten, you know, like everything in life, you're going to get mixed feedback depending on, um, where you're applying and what you're doing and what, you know, what industry that it's in. Um, you know, I may tweak this slightly if I were to go back into the pharmaceutical or, you know, hospital yeah. industry, they're probably not looking for this much expression. They may look for something that's a little bit more traditional, which is totally fine. Um, really knowing your audience, I think, you know, where you're trying to fit in, I think is really key here. Um, you know, connecting with people, asking what the culture's like, um, sending it to people that, you know, are maybe in those positions that aren't, you know, the hiring manager or the director and just saying, Hey, you know, I'm looking to get into this industry. Um, I've put together my resume. Would you mind giving me some feedback or like, let me know what the culture is there kind of getting a pulse on things with people and figuring out kind of, you know, what, you know, how they communicate, what are their hot words, you know, kind of all those different things. Um, but for me, you know, creating that, um, I was very, uh, I was very focused on getting into the tech industry and I knew that there were going to be, um, there, there was going to be some pushback being that I don't have direct tech experience prior. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could say they can be very sassy, you know, mm, that's kind sassy. of their thing. So, <laughs> Um, is know, that, that's like a tech like, pun. That's like a tech is, industry yeah, pun. SAS is S A A S software as a service. As so a they're service. super clicky. They're very sassy. I mean, that um, is basically, I mean, dental intelligence is that, I mean, it's, it's, a it is a tech a company. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I think for me, what I was trying to do in that resume was bring more life to the process for me. I wanted to tell mm-hmm. people I'm tech capable. I wanted to just tell them I'm a millennial. I'm going to figure it out. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. We're good. If I was just being totally honest with a recruiter, that's probably how I would say it. Um, that's not the way you can go about things in this world. So for me, um, I was trying to really showcase that I'm adaptable, that I'm agile, that I'm, you know, capable of figuring things out without telling them I'm capable 
I'm agile, I'm adaptable. That sounds desperate. That sounds like you're trying to like really tell them like, please choose me. I wanted to tell them to choose me or put me in the seat without me having to ask the question. So that's kind of the philosophy that I brought into it um, was through the pandemic. It, you know, I went through, uh, you know, probably a good two month process of using a traditional resume that has just your bullet points of what it is, you know, just very traditional, like your name at the top, phone number, no picture, no colors, just really simple. And I can't tell you how exhausting it was through the pandemic, um, you know, submitting those forms and just sending it out and just feeling yeah. so empty and so dry and, and losing your faith in who you are. And so for me, I kind of like took it back to that power of now and, and allowing room for more. And, and that's when I started to have fun. That's when I started to really connect with it and started mm-hmm. to realize, you know what, I need more humanity in this process. And that is who I am. And that's what I plan to bring. And if, if my resume isn't exuding who I am, I'm probably going to be employed in the wrong room anyways. Yeah. So really, I think um, bringing it back to that, um, that more creative space for me allowed me to tell them who I am and what I plan to bring without really having to like tell them so much. So I wanted them to know that I was, you know, I'm really adaptable. And, and I, I thought I'd tell them that by putting a QR code on there. I was like, you know what, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put a QR code on there so that they, you know, can kind of, you know, have an emotional response and a reaction and be like, Oh, Whoa, this dude's kind of cool. Like he knows he's, he's thinking oh, outside of the box, right to my LinkedIn. Oh, super I want cool, them to know dude. that if they need to um, look at more reviews or recommendations, I don't want to blast people with information. You know, I'm not trying to sell myself like that. I'm just trying to say, this is who I am. If you want to know more about who I am, if you want to know what I stand for and the ways I engage in the community, go here. This is one paper. My life and my purpose and my impact does not fit on one piece of paper, but I realize you probably have 200 applications and you don't have time to sift through four pages of my life. Now, if this draws your attention, feel free to use the QR code and expand further. I want to give them the option. And a part of that is I really wanted to show them that I'm so dedicated to the process and the customer experience that I didn't just type my name with follow me on LinkedIn. I put a QR code. I reduced your process of going into LinkedIn, clicking (laughs) the search bar, typing my name. (laughs) By then, like, do you actually even care? But if you see a QR code, like that might be kind of cool. So I really wanted people to feel something throughout the process. And, um, I think, you know, for me at the end of the day, that brought more joy and more life to the process for me. Um, and that matters to me. So whether it's received by everyone else, I align with that purpose. I align with my intention and, uh, I, I've had some good feedback. I think that I have made myself memorable to some of those people. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, other people that I've sent it to, it's kind of piqued their interest. And I think that it's brought more hope and more life to them as well. And at the end of the day, that's my purpose. I want to take out, you know, kind of some of that, like that boring traditionalism that sometimes can just dry the process throughout. So really just kind of modernizing and bringing that creativity back in alignment in the process. Um, and just, you know, I guess, spoiler, I mean, it's, it's an easy thing. It's free. Everyone can use Canva. 
Um, there's some templates on there. And I do recommend, you know, like Scott said, having someone write your resume. I think that, you know, there's really no like right or wrong way, like do this or do that. I actually think that if you can use them collectively, it would be mm. exceptionally powerful. So mm. I do have a traditional resume that I may send to more traditional positions, but I also have this. And you can also take that traditional resume and use that as the foundation that you like layer into your Canva resume, mm -hmm. resume, um, and that's Canva, C-A-N-D-A. I'll put um, a link in the I'll put a link in the description to the video because I think it's so great. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a really really creative. Um, yeah, just a really creative application that you can use it for so many things. So I think taking that and layering it in there. Um, allows you to bring more life to who you are. And I think that it's really um, presentable and fun when you're sending it to people who may not be the hiring manager. You know, when you get in LinkedIn and you send it to someone that's just a regular employee that's not like hiring or not doing anything and they may be on the team, I personally would way rather see that. If I had a stranger send me a traditional resume that mm. had the bullet points, I would literally think in my mind, my experience is, who do you think you are for me to care so much to take my time out of my day to read your resume? Yeah. When it's, it's black and white. It's dead. Yeah. I don't yeah. care. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like, let's just be honest. I don't care. Like I, I wish the best for you. I care about that, but like, I just, it, it feels self-interested. It feels very self-focused. And when I look at the other one, it's like, Oh, this is visually interesting. I'm, I'm kind mm. of intrigued. This is kind of fun. I'm kind of inspired myself to go do something with mine. And I wanted right. people to feel that. And that's really what I wanted to drive home is I, same thing in my life. I want people to feel things. I want people to experience things. And that's the impact I really plan to bring. And I wanted to show them that. I didn't want to tell them that. I wanted them to really feel it. I feel like it's all so connected. Your passion for customer success, <laughs> your passion for you know the power of now and being present and then you know and then taking that process and then you even put it in your resume with the qr code and making sure that people have a great experience reading your resume i think it's so awesome i think it's so good <laughs> and um well so i did something different with this episode with you this is my fifth show um i feel like it's going i feel like it's going okay i've had so fun so far i posted a teaser that you were coming on the show and I asked people to post some questions. So are you ready for a little Q and A with LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn Q &A? I am. Let's okay. go. We, I'm going to, the first one's going to be, I feel like we'll, it'll be a softball from your, from your honey, from your sweetie, uh, <laughs> Lauren, Lauren Sanders. Do you know, you know who that is? I know who that is. Yeah. Uh, she says, how do you keep your momentum slash focus when searching for a new job through the pandemic? <laughs> um, I mean, she would know best. I mean, she was really a backbone through all of that. Um, you know, really just seeing me go through the process. Um, you know, I think, um, I think, you know, part of like even her giving back to me was, um, you know, connecting with humanity again. There was a time when I think I lost that connection throughout it, um, not knowing, you know, where to go and who to connect to and how to apply. And like I said, going on LinkedIn and speaking with people and hearing what they're going through and hearing what their process is, it humanized me. It allowed me to get in with them and, you know, really just understand what they're going through and maybe even elevate my resume, you know, to people that they were considering um, and, and being more creative in that process rather than getting lost in the field of resumes that we're going mm -hmm. through. But I think for me, um, what kept me alive through the pandemic was the immense amount of opportunity for growth through trauma. So like there's, you know, basically post-traumatic 
growth. Um, you know, we had our wedding plan in June um, of this last year in 2020. And when everything happened, it seemed like March, everything just shut down. Everything was closed. The NBA, everyone was done. And um, we, we were horrified. We had everything planned in Costa Rica, the napkins, the decorations, the venue, everything. And we basically had to cancel our entire wedding. And that was devastating. Um, but tying that again into um, just, you know, that present moment, we really thought about, you know, if this isn't working right now, when is it ever going to work? And what can we do to make this work for us today? And we really, you know, leaned into that. And we, I, the biggest thing I learned through the pandemic was don't resist it. Lean into the pandemic, feel it, really experience it. Don't overcome the objections too quick. People overcome objections and want to live their life in a happy place all the time. And, you know, reality check is that life is not supposed to be happy all the time. And it's not supposed to be fair all the time. You're supposed to have these ebbs and flows. And I was like, how do I allow myself to ebb and flow here? So really leaning into it and, and feeling what was happening in the world and how I can make what's happening today beautiful. So we decided to have a local, um, you know, venue at, at the Church of Dirt here up in Park City. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, having that, I think, really, really reframed um, what a marriage is and, you know, the purpose of it and really feeling the grit of the earth, you know, the, the dirt, you know, the church of dirt, feeling that um, and having the distractions removed allowed us to really save a lot of money. You know, we went from having maybe a thirty five or forty thousand dollar wedding down to a four thousand dollar wedding. And I'm talking including you know, the dress, the photographer, the makeup, the hotel room, the venue, and, you know, like a five course meal at the River Horse on Main with a pianist, like the whole thing. I mean, it was incredible that we were able to whip this together and, you know, have everything be as beautiful as it was. And we took the money that was remaining and decided, you know, we, we want to make this a true marriage. We're going to buy a home. And, we, you know, the current, you know, rates right now are great. Let's take advantage of these rates and let's, you know, give back to the economy and let's invest in the economy and let's, let's buy a home. Let's be a part of this. And, you know, it forced Lauren and I to truly come together for the first time we got to choose um, the cabinets in the house, the flooring, the walls, the location that our, our address, you know, we got to choose everything there. And it was all because we embraced the fact that our wedding had to be canceled. So for me, just really um, connecting with humanity and connecting with what is happening today, I think really pushed me through the pandemic. I think kind of like while we're on the topic of the pandemic, how do you feel COVID has impacted your industry or your or your role? Like, I guess we, we've kind of just glazed over this whole thing that is the pandemic, maybe because it feels so normal now, or maybe because people are kind of tired of talking about it. I don't know. But I mean, it has been, you did have a lot of things change in your life between getting married, buying a house, get starting a new job. Lauren also started a new job. I think. Yeah. She? So well, she got a promotion. She's, she's driving towards it right now. So yeah. she, well, she got a promotion, but she's also driving towards, you know, more change in the future as well. Wow. That she's, you know, really, um, you know, really focused on, um, you know, working with people and allowing them the opportunities to, um, you know, identify, you know, employers that have best standards and best cultural care. Um, Lucid is a phenomenal employer that has just you know, really impacted her every day. She's today, she's wearing some lucid jogger sweatpants. I mean, she is wearing the swag. She is wearing the lucid. We go on walks and she's wearing a lucid jacket. Like, and she's proud of it. She loves it. 
um, they take a really active stance on being actively anti-racist. And she connects with a lot of these community values and they're not playing it safe. They're really, really taking an active stance in the community. And she loves that. She loves seeing the impact that they're bringing. And so she, um, I think ultimately really wants to um, create alignment in, you know, the people operations, you know, human re resources area, and, you know, just has identified more of her purpose that she wants to um, really drive that connection to the community and, and highlight this amazing employer. Mm. And so going back to um, one of my friends is a account executive at Lucid and he loves working there too. Lucid seems like a super cool company. Um and, and, but I guess going back to how do you feel like COVID has impacted, uh, like your industry or your, or your role, like a dental intelligence? Um, I think that, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, I'm in this delusional state that I think that all this opportunity is so good, you know, but my impression is that COVID has expedited the need for businesses to develop a true, honest, and, um, like stable vision for their company mm. and the customer success um, industry or like, you know, just uh, department is going to be ever more needed in businesses as we move forward. If you don't have a good customer experience and you don't have someone owning that throughout the entire journey, consumers are going to come out of this pandemic more demanding than ever. They're mm. going to expect certain things. Once I learned that I can have a curbside drop off in my robe, I don't think yeah. I want to go back. I love that. Let's keep that. <laughs> And I didn't think I would ever, I would have never left the house in my robe before, but I'm like, let's do this. Like, let's go get my coffee in a robe. This is my weekend. This is my time. That's what I'm going to do. And um, it's really shifted the ways that I've seen myself and, and just businesses and how they're giving back. And so I think that it really has shifted um, the demand for businesses to have someone owning experiences and they give value to it. It used to be that businesses thought that emotions were dangerous, that we want to avoid emotion, that we don't want to involve ourselves in politics or, you know, any activist movements or, you know, taking an active stance in, you know, anything that's really happening in the world. This is business and let's keep that out of it. And I think that consumers are going to come out of this swinging with a bat saying, where do you stand? Why am I giving you my money? They're going to be more demanding beyond the product. They want to know what they're supporting beyond what they're going to receive. And that's going to put some severe pressure on businesses to really create alignment between the customer, the employee, and, you know, basically like the executive experience. So they need someone to be owning that. And I think consumers are going to be demanding that more and more in the years to come. Um, I know that I value that when I go to, you know, Harman's here locally, they, uh, I know that they pay their employees well and mm -hmm. they will have, you know, their floral shop is great and I'll leave with another plant that I don't need or they'll have baskets woven by, uh, you know, some uh, uh, Indian tribes where they donate 100% of the proceeds back to those, you know, those families and they give them opportunities for employment. And I left about a month ago with an $80 basket that I have no idea what I'm going to do with. It's just in my living room, but I feel great about it and I'm going to keep shopping at Harmon's because I love that they give me an opportunity to get back. So I think that it's really demanded business to um, invest in the experience and not mm. stray away and just, you know, don't play it safe anymore. Um. I think that's, I think that's so great. And how you found a way to tie in what you're passionate about into what your COVID experience has been and what you think companies should be doing. I think it's, it's awesome. And I, I agree with you. I think that 
I mean, f- professionally, from a business perspective and from an individual perspective, COVID has given everybody time to reflect on what's important to them, what they should be focusing on, and and kind of, um, you know, develop some of those, maybe some either either those processes from a business perspective, um, or maybe finding new hobbies or things to be passionate about um, from an individual perspective. Um, I have another question here from... Uh, Jeannie Walden, do you know her? Yeah. Um, you know, LinkedIn, I mean, not, not super well, but, you know, briefly on LinkedIn, you know, you kind of make these connections and see people frequently, but I'd love to hear what she had to say. Well, she, I mean, I, you, I don't, I feel like people don't need to know you well to know that you have a lot of energy and she wants to know how you maintain your energy level and genuinely harness so much passion. That's what, that was her question. <laughs> That's a very that's nice a, thing to say. Really nice. That's really kind. <laughs> it seems almost like more like a statement. Um, I I love that. Um, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I uh, I've got to think about that. I guess I just I've never really thought about like why I why I have it since I just I kind of just feel it. Um, I would say, you know, I would say you know just defining your purpose, defining what you mm. stand for beyond your titles, your purpose and just statement. really. Yeah, your purpose statement. What impact do you want to make on the world? And then, you know, I think that that's really driven me, you know, that um, in everything I do, um, I'm always cross-referencing and and checking to make sure that this is a part of who I am, that this is what I want to do, that this is where I want to be. And um, I think just once you find something that you care about, like on a deeper level, it just drives everything else. I mean, it takes so much momentum to move a boulder, but once you start moving it, it just starts rolling and you can't stop it. And once you find that it, 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 you have to find outlets to express that passion because it's kind of like a boiling pot of steam. It'll just lift up and scream at some point if you don't find a way to express it. So I think a lot of people will think that it takes a lot of energy to maintain that, you know, that level of passion. Um, but I think what it is, is that once you really dive into that, you know, your why or what your purpose is and, and what, what like repeating themes in your life keep reoccurring. Like, is it community? Is it giving back? Is it, you know, like, what is your purpose? It, it'll just, it dives into everything from your professional life to your personal life. And, you know, you find these other outlets to connect with people and express because you care about it. It's not work anymore. And I think that that really allows you to transcend into so many different areas in your life. You know, in, in my career, as you'd said that these kind of look like different roles going from healthcare to this, to that. And I've totally seen it differently because, you know, my passion's always been aligned in this one area that um, it, it's totally connected. I think that the biggest struggle is getting other people to see that and restore their magic in the world, getting them to feel again, getting them to like have hope and trust and just check out of this like dry, you know, state, getting them to see that again. I think, I think that has given me purpose and, that's really just driven my passion. That, that was a great answer, dude. That's why I wanted you to come on the show, man. I'm like, God, this guy is deep. He's got levels, levels to him, man. Um, uh, so I got just a couple more questions and then okay. you know, we could probably, you know, you've been, this is definitely going to be the longest show that I've done, but I love it, man. I feel like I know you're so passionate about this stuff. You can talk about it forever. Um, Nikita D. Um, she says, what are some good um, customer success resources you have found and where? And this, and this ties into kind of like my last question for you too. So. 
Yeah. So I, uh, I'll leave you with one that, you know, I've continually referred back to and, and really love um, a leader, Jeannie Walters on LinkedIn. Um, she has just been amazing at um, not only, you know, understanding what customer experience is, but, you know, really being vulnerable and creating and giving her resources completely for free, mm. you know, really defining what the customer journey map is and explaining why it's valuable and giving you your why, but also following up with here's the thoughts, here's the goals, here's the actions, do all of this and it will lead to this. And to find someone that's such an exceptional, com you know, community steward and really drawing, um, you know, people in through giving back, um, that's something I stand for on a personal level. So I'm like, wow, like you're not only, you know, like explaining the value in this and why it matters and, you know, and taking it and saying, sign up for a course so I can help you. She's saying, no, I want more of you out there. I'm here for you. I'm an advocate for you. I'll help you. I'll respond to you. I'm a real human being that really just wants to give the resources for more of you to do the work that I'm fighting for today. It's really a movement for people to, you know, bring more humanity to the world and help align the operations and the employee and customer experience. And she's created some really, really good tools to allow more people to do that. She knows she can't do it alone. And I think, you know, she's just kind of created like a vibe tribe where people are coming I'm in trying. and they're just really seeing that. And um, I think that she's an amazing resource. You know, her talk shows on Friday are amazing. Um, her website's amazing. And, um, you know, she just has a lot in there. Um, the other thing I would leave you with is a community called Gain, Grow, Retain. Mm -hmm. um, they're strictly a customer success community that really talks about different, um, you know, uh, basically things that you experience in that role from churn, churn mitigation, um, providing value to stakeholders. How do you create stakeholder buy-in to um, employee experiences when they cost this much with maybe no direct return in profits? You know, how do you showcase these things and how do you, you know, uh, basically create value? You know, because all these things are great, but they they can sometimes become intangible because they they are emotional. So really drawing those lines into a metric oriented and operations. Uh, you know, mindset, I think they, they do a really good job of helping you balance both ends of the spectrum. And I guess this kind of, it kind of ties into, um, you know, having some, some good resources are important for people that are maybe interested in a career, um, in customer success. Um, I guess, you know, if you were to, um, give yourself some advice from when you were younger or, or maybe some, some people that are getting ready, uh, to graduate, um, mm -hmm. who are thinking about a career in, in customer success, what advice uh, would you give yourself or would you give them? Um, I would say, um, I, I, I feel like I've repeated this a million times, so I hope it's yeah. not annoying at this point, but defining your why, um, yeah. defining your purpose mm -hmm. is you know the most important thing to me regardless of whether you follow a traditional um, education system or a traditional plan, um, whatever that is, I think that at the end of the day, when things go wrong in my life, I always return to my purpose. When things are good, I'm guided by my purpose. And I think that um, education, um, you know, and, and as they're going towards graduating, you followed a path that, um, you know, really has a rigid structure to, to growing and learning and following certain courses and doing things a certain way. And from what I have seen, you know, with some of those that maybe are coming out of school, 
um, along the ways they haven't uh, defined their purpose because it hasn't been a focus in their studies that they've found that they're good at certain things, but they don't know why they are good at those things and what drives them to enjoy those things. Mm. And I think I would love for people to define that if you can define that as early on as possible. Um, or at least just be on the search for it, just looking for it. That's amazing. Just keep your heart open to that um, because, you know, titles and roles and environmental changes are going to be happening through the course of your life. And if you don't have much of a purpose, you're not going to allow yourself to transcend. And I think that that's where typecasting has become a large problem for people um, is that they see themselves in a certain role. And if they're not in that role or they don't continue to grow in a traditional way within that role, they're a failure. And, you know, I think the thing is, is that, you know, we're trained to eat, think, sleep and count. And, you know, how would you feel if you were told two plus two is actually six, not four, and suddenly your world is flipped, you know, how are you going to keep yourself open to this, this new world that's coming out? And I think um, just keeping yourself aligned with, you know, the humanity in yourself and defining that purpose will allow you to transcend roles. You'll find purpose in whatever you're doing, as long as it's connected to that. You'll, you won't be stuck within a role that's defined by someone above you. Just really making sure that you're driving your purpose, you know, into your work life. Um, well, Jackson, I um, want to just thank you so much for, for spending so much time with me on this snowy Saturday afternoon. Um, I know you said, I asked if it's all right, if people reach out to you, if they found our conversation inspirational or motivating, or if they want to learn more about customer success, Jackson said, yes. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, please reach out to him. He said, he'd be happy to uh, talk with you, connect with you, answer any questions you have about customer success um, and working for uh, dental intelligence. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or to reach out to you? Um, I would say on LinkedIn, um, okay. if you have a LinkedIn, um, I would love to see, you know, who you are and how you've chosen to represent yourself and, you know, whether you're proud of that or you're not, and you're embarrassed, don't be embarrassed. You know, I would love to be there, you know, for anyone and everyone in just exploring who they are in a really safe place. Um, you know, just giving them the space to make mistakes, giving them the space to, you know, uh, collaborate and better define who they are and removing yourself from the silos of your own mind. I think I would love to just provide that resource to people. If they have questions on their resume, if you need someone to just critique it, or if you need someone to just, you know, roast it, if you can ask me <laughs> to say, Hey, roast my resume, roast it. I want someone to roast it. You know, I want to see what the worst case scenario of my resume could be. If you're ready for that, I'll do it for you. Whatever you need. I just want to be there for people to help them, you know, move beyond the barriers that they have today. So I would say LinkedIn is the best. Awesome. Well, Jackson, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'll be sure to put, you know, links to everything that we talked about in the subscription to the video. Um, and, you know, Jackson, thank you again so much, man. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate it. I want to say a big thank you to Jackson for joining me on this episode of Digital Mentorship. I enjoyed our conversation about passion and incorporating that into your career. Our discussion about focusing on the present and developing your purpose statement are essential lessons in this journey we all find ourselves on. We learned about the importance of a customer success manager and its role in providing a seamless customer experience. Jackson takes experience so seriously that he recreated his resume from black and white to communicate better. If you are interested in a career in customer success management or know someone who is, have them reach out to Jackson or share this podcast with them. 
If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, like, and comment. It helps me with the algorithm. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Digital Mentorship. I'm your host, Scott Kellner. We'll see you next time.